Two real neat opportunities. I saw a lot of your pictures up there. But just to hear about what God is doing. You know, God is on the move and we get to partner with him, you know, with the the compassion. When Amy first approached me about doing compassion, my first, I, I inwardly rolled my eyes. I'm like, okay, this is one of those things where you make people feel guilty and then emotionally get them to give money to something. And then she told me about it. I went, oh, it is different. You know, she said it's different than those other ones. And as she explained it to me, here's the one that stuck out to me. The three C's church focused. So not our church focused, but a church locally where these kids are being sponsored. There's a church there, sometimes church plants from what I understand being put right there to serve those kids, which serves their whole families. And that's what, that's what hooked me with this whole thing is we can partner with what God is doing there church base, you know, not, not just parachurch, go do good things for the world, but actually bring these people into the church to get to know Jesus, because that's where life is really found. You know, we, we want to take them out of poverty, absolutely, but more than that, we want to see them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So think about sponsoring a kid. I mean, really do, because this is one of those things. Here's the other thing that got me was as we uh, get some kids in maybe similar areas, we can take trips to go see those kids and go serve the church that's serving those kids. And that's a way we can partner with kingdom work. Very exciting. And then what we did last week, you know, it's exciting to be part of, again, a movement here locally where we can serve the community. And a lot of those places want us to come back. And so there's opportunities that we want to partner with. So thank you. Um, I'm going to pray and we'll get into the message. Lord Jesus Christ, um, the church is alive because you are alive. You are the one moving. You are the one at work. Uh, God, you, before time began, had a plan for what you were going to do. And you, you knew we were going to sin. You knew the fall was going to happen. You knew you were going to send your son to save us. And everything since then, you know. You know when you're going to send your son back. We don't know, but you know. And you know how you're going to use each of us until then. You know the, the troubles we're going to have. You know the hiccups we're going to have. And you know how you're going to show up for us. Um, you know how you're going to live in and through us to serve the world. And so we can just follow you. And I thank you for that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be here with us this morning, uh, that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that we would be moved to respond to you however you would have us respond. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever uh, had this experience where you see somebody looking at a baby and they're looking at this newborn and went, oh my goodness, it has mom's nose. Or, uh, oh, it's got dad's chin. And, and you're, you're thinking, duh. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way it works. It's half mom, half dad. It's going to look like the kids. Uh, or, or you see a kid and you start talking to him here at church and you're like, I know who your parents are. Just the way their mannerisms, the, the way they behave or things like that. Or... Teachers have this experience with kids with multiple. You have one, and then you have the next, and then it's like, how many are in this family? And, and, and you get an idea of how these kids work. Uh, teachers love having our kids because Callie volunteers in the school. So, you know, they hear, oh, a carpenter kid, I want them because I know mom's going to come help grade papers and things. But there's, there's something about families that makes us unique. This DNA, we're starting a series today called DNA because DNA, you know, if you know the genetic code, it, it makes, you know, hair color, eye color, but there's also behavioral traits that are common in families. So in our family, we have four kids, and if you uh, turn on a really good beat, like a disco beat, uh, chances are if my kid is there, one, they'll start moving because we carpenters are good dancers. It's in our DNA. 
Um, or, or if, if you are, I, and, and feel free to do this, go to one of my kids and ask, hey, do you know any good jokes? They will. They're going to be corny, but they're going to know them because that's, we're funny too. Um, <laughs> it's, it's in our DNA. Now, the reason we're calling this DNA is as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are adopted into his family and not just surface. We are. We are adopted. Our DNA is changed. The Bible says that uh, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So we have undergone some kind of metamorphosis where we are changed and our DNA changes, which makes us part of God's family. But then there are some traits about us that are going to be similar to one another. There's some traits about us that are going to be like our Lord. And so this series, we do a series like this at least once a year because if you know me at all, you know, I want to be intentional about everything we're doing and intentional about how we spend our time, intentional about what we talk about it. And if you came in on your seat is a magnet, take this with you and stick it on your, your refrigerator, you know, hold up your pictures or whatever, but this is who we are as Christians. And so we're going to look at who we are biblically and then a little bit as how common ground has decided to be an expression of what that is in scripture. But You'll see one of our goals, these are our, our values, um, and here's one of our values. It's right there in the middle. The goal is life change. You know, when we started Common Ground, we knew we didn't want to be about church. We didn't want to be about religion. We wanted to be about life change, meaning people get to know Jesus, they grow in Jesus, and things change. Things get better as you get to know Jesus and walk with him. And so our goal as a church is not to do religion. And we've talked about it. We don't want to be the biggest church in town. We don't care about that. We want to see life change. And so we're going to be looking at this series, DNA, about what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And some of those things we're going to see is how we spend our time. We're going to be focusing on really how we spend our time in this series. But I wanted to start this morning with kind of a goal. You know, what is our goal as Christians? Because if we have a common goal, then there's going to be common behaviors to achieve that goal. And what is our goal as Christians? Romans 8, 29 says this. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You can look at that up there. God knew his people, that's you and me, those who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. as He knew us in advance. In fact, before the dawn of time, he knew us. And he chose us to do what? To become like his son. He chose us to be like Jesus. He didn't choose us to be religious. He didn't choose us, you know, because he needed our help with something. He chose us because he loves us, but, but the goal is that we would become like Jesus. And so with that in in mind, with that goal in mind of becoming like Jesus, we're going to look at how we spend our time. Over here on the wall, you'll see three key relationships, up, in, and out. And we talk about this a lot because uh, a lot of times we can get focused on just one, one thing in our Christian life. But as Jesus followers, if we want to be holistic, then we need to focus on all three relationships. That's up with God, in with his church, and then out with the world around us. The key word there is relationship. You know, as we talk about family, when you think about family, duty does come to mind, but hopefully a family is made up more of relationships than it is of duty. 
know, we have relationships with our kids. We have relationships with our spouses. We have relationships. And, and in those relationships, it takes time to build those relationships. Um, we're going to focus on our relationship with God today. And we're going to see how Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father and how time is spent in that relationship. But I wanted to begin, we're going to start a little bit different today. Uh, today, you're going to have to think a little bit more than normal. So if you're not used to thinking, turn your brain on, because we're going to go through a series of questions that's going to come back to answer this question, how do we spend our time? Uh, and, and we're focusing on God time today. But we're going to ask some questions. It's going to make you think, and, and some you might disagree with. So make a note there, and then look up the passages as we go through. But I wanted to start again not just with the goal to be like Jesus, but now this Christian life, how did Jesus describe the Christian life? And we believe this. This is one of our founding principles at Common Ground is the, the life God has called us to, not one of religion. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 to 29. So I'll actually, sorry, I'll give you a chance to turn there. We're going to be in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Uh, if you have a don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. You can grab one of those. But Matthew 11, 28 to 29, this is our main passage for the day. We're going to see a description of the Christian life and then some questions. Jesus describes it this way. It's an invitation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What do you notice about that description of what Jesus is inviting us into? It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Doesn't that sound good? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Christian life is restful, easy, and the burden is light. Has that been your experience as a Jesus follower? Do you feel restful, like the burden is easy, light? Or maybe like me, have you had periods, and maybe you're in one of those now, where your Christian life is really more about what you do? A lot of times we, we think that our Christian life is supposed to be achieving things for God, and so we have all these things to get done. And so it becomes a burden. We have to go to church. We have to be in a group. We have to do all these things. And so it becomes duty rather than the freedom, as he describes here, that it's restful. Jesus describes the Christian life as restful, easy, and a light load. So often we believe spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity. This is why, as a, as a church, as Common Ground Church, one of the things, this is in the, on the, the values here, we say doing more by doing less. Studies show that in our American society, people really have two time slots open in the week. So as a church, we go, okay, there's two time slots. What's the best way to use our time? Well, Sunday, worshiping together. We're going to talk about that more next week. And then the other one would be groups getting together. Those are really our two time slots. Um, as we look through how do we spend our time because um, we don't want to overburden what we're trying to do as a church. Uh, look at one, one other verse with me, if you would. John 8, 31 to 
to 32, and it says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's one more thing we can add to that description. Restful, light, easy, and now free. Is that how you feel in your Christian life? I got to tell you, these are the things that for me drive me to be a pastor, to help people experience this life. Because so many, I mean, just look at our society where we're full of depression. So many people are on medication for stress, anxiety, depression, but yet that's not the life God has for us. And so to see people set free by Jesus is amazing. To see people go through really hard times and have faith through that, those are the things that keep me going. That people, seeing people experience this life that God has for us. He says is that we can be free. The promise is freedom. Now go back, look at these verses again. The ones in Matthew and the ones in John. You see a promise and an expectation. The promise is freedom, a light load, rest. But what's the expectation in these verses? Let me read the Matthew passage again. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. There's a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's the expectation that we will come learn from Jesus. Now the John passage, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, abide means to remain in, to, to hold on tightly to what, what are they abiding in? His word, meaning the Bible, everything that Jesus has spoken abiding in his word. So that's also the idea of learning. So the expectation is that we learn from Jesus and then we will experience the light load, the restful walk, the freedom. One other verse, and I'm going to ask some hard questions. John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what we're called to, to know God in intimate relationship and to know Jesus. Jesus tells us that the Christian life is about knowing the Father and the Son. So here's a big picture. If you're a simple person like me, big picture know God. That's our big picture goal, to know God. We saw that. Jesus said, eternal life is that they know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom I have sent. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls when you learn from me. And he says, abide in my word. So we are called to know God. Does that feel a little bit better than doing for God? It's a little bit different than maybe the religion a lot of us were raised with. So we're called to know God. Okay, know God, relationship. What does it take for relationships to form? What does it take to know someone? Time. It does, doesn't it? It takes time with that person. It's the same with God. So the big picture goal is to know God. The daily goal is to spend time with God. That's our daily goal, to spend time with God. And that's what we're talking about today, God time. Big picture goal, to know God. Daily goal is to spend time with God. 
All right, now I'm going to ask the hard questions, and we're going to lead to the conclusion there. First question, does a Christian want to sin? Don't answer these out loud. <laughs> does a Christian want to sin? I had a group, uh, a few guys together the other day, and we, were taught, we asked this question. Does a Christian want to sin? And honestly, we, we wrestled with it. Well, yeah. Well, no. Well, yeah. So answer that to yourself. Does a Christian want to sin? Paul, in the book of Romans, has a section there where he says, I don't do what I want to do. What I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body? So he's sharing in that moment a wrestle that he has with sin. He's a Christian wrestling with sin. Later, the, you know, the next chapter gives us the solution to that. But he's wrestling with it. But what does Paul say? He says, I'm doing what I don't want to do. So does a Christian want to sin? As I asked this the other day, one person will say, in the moment, yeah. If we didn't want to do it, we wouldn't do it. But then after the fact, it's like, well, I didn't really want to do that. In the moment, I wanted to, but I want something bigger. A Christian with the Holy Spirit inside them does not want to sin. We still can, but at our heart of hearts, we don't want to. We want to be like Jesus. The goal is to be like Jesus. Did he ever sin? No, and we want that. In our heart of hearts, that's how you know you're a Christian. I, I had somebody ask me this at camp one year. You know, how do you know you're a believer? And one of the best answers to that is more and more you want what God wants. You see that growing in you. Your desires become more and more like His desires. So we don't want to sin. So here's the next question. Does a Christian have to sin? Don't answer this out loud. Does a Christian have to sin? Years ago, I was uh, speaking out at camp, and I was sitting there with, with Bob Burroughs, one of my mentors, uh, who runs the camp, and we were sitting there, just the two of us, and he said, if Jesus is on the throne of your life, are you going to sin? And I didn't think about it very long. I said, well, yeah, I'm human. I'm still in this body. Sin is still here. Yeah, I'm going to sin. He said, ah, if Jesus is on the throne of your life, are you going to sin? Well, yeah, I can't be sinless. He's like, okay, what's the Bible say? He said again, if Jesus is on the throne, and so what's the picture there, the way he was phrasing it, on the throne in a kingdom, who calls the shots? The king, the one on the throne. They get what they want. So if Jesus is on the throne in my life, and the goal is for me to be like Jesus, he's going to get what he wants in and through me. Let me show you a couple verses. Up here on the screen, Romans 6, 6 through 7. Paul says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. At conversion, our old self is killed. We receive a new DNA, free from sin. Here's the next one, Galatians 5, 16. It says, walk by the Spirit. Another way to say walk by the Spirit is abide in Jesus or walk in Him. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So does a Christian have to sin? No. No. The Bible says no. Now, this is scary. Here's, when I have this conversation with people, here's what happens. Okay, a Christian doesn't have to. I do. I must not be a Christian. 
And now people start doubting their salvation because, wait a minute, I don't want to sin and I don't have to sin, but yet I still do. There is something wrong with me. Don't go there. Because the next question then is, then why do we sin? Because if we don't really want to at our heart of hearts and we don't have to, why do we? And if, I think if we took a show of hands in here, who still struggles with sin? I think most of us would raise our hands. So why do we struggle with sin? And you're not going to like this answer. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's leave this verse up for a little bit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of times we can read this to go, okay, if we love, then we obey. So, I'm a Christian. He died for, Jesus died for me. I believe in him. I love him. Now, I better go work hard at obeying. I better go obey his commandments. But the emphasis is not on obedience. What's the emphasis on? Love. Love. If you love me, the result will be you keep my commandments. If you love me, the result will be you're walking in the Spirit and you will not sin. So the focus is on love. So then let's take this logical conclusion. If we still sin, but we don't want to and we don't have to, what's the problem? It's a lack of love. According to what John is saying in John 14, and also you'll see it in John 15, the problem is a lack of love. Now, you're sitting there hearing me say, you're telling me that if I sin, I don't love God? Yep, that's what I'm saying. But not love at all. There's degrees of love, isn't there? You know, hopefully you love your spouse if you're married more now than you did when you first married them. It's, there's degrees of love. So it's not that there's a lack of love, but sin shows a lack of love. And here's, here's where this hurts. This hurts me because as I look at sin in my own life and I go, what's the problem? Well, at the mo when I choose that sin, I love that sin more, more than I love God. I want that sin. More, and it's not really what I want, but I do it anyway, which means I'm not as far along as I thought I was. <laughs> That's what it is for me. Then I look in the mirror and I go, I'm not as mature as I thought I was. I'm not as good a Christian as I thought I was. And then it really hurts when it's like, I know what you've done for me, Jesus. I don't love you as I thought I did or as I should. So love is the issue. Now, we can wrestle with the guilt, and, but that's not where we're supposed to be either. But we have to recognize this truth, that if we love him, we will obey his commandments. A lack of obedience is evidence of an intimacy problem, a love problem. Okay, love. What is love a product of? Relationship. That's why when somebody says Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, and people don't like that, well, it's really true. The Christian life isn't about religion, as in do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship, an intimacy, a love relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If it's about loving and knowing, you can't love someone without knowing. You can't know them without spending time with them. Imagine this scenario with me. Um, a man, he's been dating a beautiful woman, and, and uh, it comes time to propose. He gets on his knee, and he says, will you marry me? And, of course, she does this whole fluttery thing, and, oh, let me see the ring first. That's actually what, <laughs> Callie's not here, so I can share this. When I proposed to Callie, 
and I slipped the ring on her finger. It was just a little gold band that I bought because I didn't have the other ring yet. It was in the mail. And I slipped it on, and she didn't want to look at it, but she was like, that's really light. <laughs> so anyway, side note, back on track. <laughs> a proposal. You know, you put the ring. They look at it. Oh. And then the, the groom-to-be says this. says, I will love you for the rest of my life, and, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to spend one hour with you every Sunday. Every Sunday, I'm going to come and I'll spend a good hour with you, just connecting with you. And once a week, I'm going to have a group of friends over and you can come too. And we're going to hang out in my house. We'll have some food um, and we'll talk about deep things. But then after about two hours, then you go away. Um, and if I really need something, I'll call you and we'll get together. If I really... Does that make sense? That's not a relationship. That's not a marriage relationship. It's the same with God. But yet, isn't that kind of how we a lot of times approach our Christian life? It's, I'll see you Sunday. I'll go to group and I'll experience you there. And when I really need something, that's when I'm going to pray. But a relationship, a love relationship is about an ongoing connection of time. In John 15... My favorite passage, probably my favorite chapter is John 15. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to those last verses. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what can you do apart from God? Nothing. So we don't want to sin. We don't have to sin. We still can, and when we are connected to the vine, uh, we, can, we can walk in victory, because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from connection with Jesus, we cannot walk in this victory. So meaning, if I am not intimately connected to Jesus, I will fail as a father, I will fail as a husband, I will fail as a, as a worker, as a pastor, I will fail. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. What's the deeper problem? Meaning, why don't we spend, and I'm, I'm assuming some of us are in this boat, if you are not spending daily, regular time with Jesus, why not? This one's going to sting a little bit too. Sorry for stinging so bad today. I'm not really. It's pride, isn't it? When we fail to spend regular time with God, what we're saying is, I don't need you. What he says in John 15 Apart from me, you can do nothing. When apart from God, we enter life and try and achieve all these things, what we're saying is, I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. It's a pride issue. It's a lack of love issue. It's a pride issue. And by the way, um, this struggle is the same for pastors. So don't, don't assume that, oh, the pastor's got all this figured out and he's got like this lovey-dovey, uh, you know, butterflies and whatever relationship with God. This is a huge struggle for me. <laughs> You know, even in, in church life, I wake up and I have all these things to do and I want to just jump in and get them done. Rather than, than abiding in Jesus, there's times where I think I can do this whole ministry thing apart from him. I, and I, I, I don't really believe that, but when I get up and I go do it without connecting to him, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, I can do it without you. And it's a pride issue. Any of you parents may have experienced something similar with your kids. They all get to an age. They'll hit it a couple times. 
but they'll get to this independent stage. Trenton, you're probably about there. Um, Lydia hit it early. Um, one, <laughs> two, uh, she, she very quickly was uh, one of those, I can do it. I can do it myself. And so my, my parents were visiting. I think she was two. We got in the, the truck and we sat down and, and Lydia was sitting between me and my dad. And he leaned over to start helping her with her seatbelt like a loving grandpa would do. And she says, I can do it. And he said, no, you can't. I went, oh, no. <laughs> and she looked at him. And now we weren't going anywhere until she had buckled the seatbelt all by herself. Rather than if you, you can manipulate her a little bit and then you can get it done. But he said, no, you can't. She said, I can too. And now her and her independence, she was going to buckle that seatbelt. And finally she did and did this. <laughs> Told you. Or, or maybe when the kids are learning to, to tie their shoe. Maybe you've had that where, all right, it's time to go. We have to go to church. And the kid is there going, I have to tie my shoe first. Well, let me tie it. No, I can do it. And they struggle and they, and they struggle. Maybe I'm the only one that's had this experience. And then finally they say, will you help me? And so you come and you're like, okay, you cross over and under. Now make the bunny ear. Now go around the bunny ear and through the hole. You know what I mean? Or however you learn how to do it. And you explain and they do it step by step. And then they look at me and they say, I just tied my shoe. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I tied your shoe through you. That's kind of a picture of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He wants to do some things in and through us, but it's him doing it in and through us. We have to be abiding in him, connected to him. And then it's like us, we do something, say in ministry or with a coworker, you get to share Jesus. You see something awesome happen uh, or you, you sponsor a kid. And you're like, look how good I am. And it's really God going, I just did that through you. Because you sat there and followed my instructions. I want you to take the bunny ear around through, whatever. That's our life with Jesus Christ. But what does it take? It takes intimate love relationship with God. It takes being close to him. It takes knowing him. This is who we are. People who spend regular time with God, allowing Jesus to live in and through us. So we've gone through, I hope you were following, the goal, the big goal is to know God. The daily goal is to spend time with God. Why? Because we don't really want to sin. We don't have to sin. And when we do, it's a love problem. So we need our love to grow, which can only be formed by time with Him. Only be formed by time with Him. Now, This is the last note, but the goal of the Christian life is to be with God through Jesus. Now, let me, let me address a temptation that, that you're going to have right now. You, you may be sitting there and feeling guilty going, I don't love God very well because I don't spend regular time with him. So now I'm going to work really hard at spending time with Jesus. And you'll do great for a week and then you won't. And then you'll feel guilty so then you really won't. Uh, and, then, and then in a year from now, we'll talk about this again. You'll be like, that was a really good week I had. I should do that again. And this time you'll do it for three weeks. And then you won't. And then you'll feel guilty. And you won't at all, right? I mean, maybe I'm the only one that struggles with, with sin this way. Rather, go back to this whole thing. What did Jesus say in John 15? I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So 
If apart from Jesus, you're going to try and spend time with Jesus, you're going to fail. Rather than living in a place of surrender, living in a place of, of the kid going, help me tie my shoe, staying there. Meaning when you wake up, you go, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I know I'll fail apart from you. So stay connected. Help me. Help me. I need you. That doesn't mean that you don't put it on your calendar. That's why we're saying the Christian life is all about where we spend our time. God time, our relationship with God, we, we put it on our calendar. Is it on your calendar? Do you have an alarm set to get up and spend time with him? We put it on our calendar, but it, there's a rub here, isn't there? There's a tension of we're intentional about it, but we don't want to become religious about it, as in doing it in our own strength. So we say, Jesus, I need your help to do this. I need you. I need to spend time with you. Help me. Make me spend time with you. And then you'll get a flat tire on the way to work <laughs> and you'll be forced. I got to wait an hour for the tow truck, whatever it is. Tell God you need his help. Surrender to him. Because the goal is to know him. And this life that he promised, where we started with, restful, the burden is easy. That's the life of freedom. That's the life that we have, but that comes by knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, which only comes through spending time with him. By the way, as you look through and you notice it talked about learning from him, how is it that we learn from Jesus? Through his word. So this God time, that's the goal. Time with God daily. It has to be with the word. The word has to be part of it. I, you know, I know some of you will say, I love Christian music, and so I get that time listening to music. Great. And that's what I love about the music we sing here is it is biblical. It's in line. We can learn while we're doing that. That's, that's excellent. But the word needs to also be part of it. Somewhere in there that you're going to the word and learning from Jesus. This is the primary way he will speak to you. He'll speak to you through me, hopefully, as long as I'm speaking this. <laughs> He'll speak to you through other believers, hopefully, as they're speaking through this. But we need his word. So how, how we do this, you know, a couple little tips with, with daily time with God. One is put it on your calendar. I was tempted to bring in our clock. We're, we've been moving. We have this big, giant clock, and I was just going to hang it around my neck. You know, that the Christian life is about how we spend our time, but I didn't want to do that. Um, <laughs> so, but put it on your clock. Put it on your calendar. Have a place. Where are you going to go? Know that. Because if you're like me and you have a family of six, you're like, where am I going to go? I can't go there. Have a place where you can go be with Jesus. And then have a plan. We have these. We did not write these. Um, the Jesus Follower Devotional. This is a good place to start. It's awesome. If you've never done one of these, use it. Uh, you can buy them back there. Uh, Sam, are you back there today? Yeah, go buy it from Sam. She'll sell it to you. Um, if you can't afford it, we'll give it to you because it's so important that you spend time with Jesus. And this will teach you, not just lead you through it for a month, but it will teach you how to do it on your own. It'll teach you how to have time with Jesus on a daily basis. So there's this, if you've already done this, do it again or find something else. Create a plan because when you have a plan, it's a lot easier to follow through. But then again, if you miss out for two days, you're like, I missed my plan for two days. Now I give up. Again, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't walk in guilt. So again, we go back to Jesus, do it through me. I surrender. The big picture goal is to know God. The daily goal is to spend time with God. Let me pray.